Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Yeah, but we began two weeks ago and we talked about Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. God spoke to him and said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are for all the land that you see, I will give it to you. And there's a key. If you can see it on the inside, you can see it on the outside. And if you can get a picture on the inside, God can take you there on the outside. Then he went on to tell him in verse 17, get up and walk through the land, the length and the breadth of it. Praise God. He said, I want you to personally experience it. I want you to get a revelation of it. I want you to feel it. I want you to smell it. I want you to taste it. I want you to touch it. I want the promise to become real to you. You know what? There's a lot of people that know about Jesus, but there's a big difference in knowing him intimately and personally than just knowing about him and the historical facts about him. Praise God. And you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to have a personal revelation of the word of God and the promises of God where they're real to you. Amen. Where it's not just secondhand knowledge. And then we went from there, and in verse 18, it says, Abram removed his tent from there and went to uh, Mamre and built an altar there. I talked about how it takes the grace of God for us to fulfill the purpose of God in our life. Without the grace of God, we can't do it. We cannot accomplish what God called us to do without the grace of God. It takes grace. Amen. It's not our own strength. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own ability but it is the absolute grace of God. And then we went uh, last week and we talked about Joshua. And in Joshua chapter one, we read verse one through verse nine, and we talked about the process of receiving the promise. You know, God has promises for us. God has different things, but it's a process. It doesn't happen automatically. And it doesn't happen immediately. It generally takes time when God promises you something uh, for that to come to pass in your life. And so the first thing God told Joshua in verse 3, and Joshua was taking the children of Israel into the promised land, ultimately that God promised Abraham, and, and taking them where Moses had taken them out of Egypt, but they had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. So Joshua was now taking them in, but he said, every place that the sole of your feet will tread, I will give you. Praise God. So that was God's promise. The next verse, that was verse 3, verse 4 says this, and there were Hittites in the land. But you know, generally when God calls you to take something, there's some giants there. And we read some other scriptures where there's Hittites and Amalekites and all the ites, praise God. And there's all kinds of, you know, challenges and difficulties. Just because God said he gave you something does not mean there's not going to be some challenges, does not mean there's not going to be some problems. In fact, Joyce Meyer said something years ago, and it just stuck with me, but another level, another devil. And generally, if you're going to take more territory, you're going to face some challenges. You're going to face some difficulties. You know, there's going to be things you're going to have to do better and learn more, and praise God, we've, we've taken the greatest steps recently that we've ever taken in outreach ministry here. And you know what? We plainly had to get better at some things and we're getting better. Amen. But it's the greatest opportunity that we have ever uh, stepped into. And I believe it's going to be phenomenal. 
I believe it's going to have a great outcome. I believe the ministry side is going to greatly grow. It will help the church. We're doing other things to really help the church. I believe there's good. God has a good and bright future uh, for this ministry and for this church. But it it doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulties and there's not going to be problems. If you think that you're going to take more territory and you're never going to face any giants, you are just not connecting all the dots. <laughs> Amen? Praise God. But then the third thing we talked about, God said He was with them. His presence, even though you may face problems, you have to realize that God is with you. He never left them. His presence was with them. And you know what? If you're going to possess the promise, you need the presence of God. You need the power of God. Amen? We need the presence. I don't know about you, but I need the presence of God. And we talked, to, you know, a little bit about that. You know, I told some of my friends, and they had missed a few Sundays, and they were facing some challenges, and part of it, just they need to be here. There's something happens when you get in the presence of God. And I said, listen, I, I need to come to church at least twice a week. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm a little rough around the edges, so, you know. And if I need it, I know it's good for you. And they agreed with me. They had called me this week, and they were in a major dilemma. And I spoke to them, and I was super busy the day they called me. I had a ton of stuff going. And I just said, listen, I got this, this, and this going. I got to get to that. I got to, you know. And, but I called them later in the day to check. They said, it's much better, praise God. And they were here today smiling and doing good. But you know what? You need the presence of God. And Kenneth E. Hagin, Papa Hagin said this. He said, if you will come to church and get the counsel that is in the pulpit, you're not going to need very much other counsel. And you know what? I don't believe in just babysitting people. Praise God. And a lot of times people just run around looking for somebody to tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And you know what? The Word of God is pretty straight. And if you'll just believe it and just use it, just act on it, it'll work in your life. Amen? It's worked for me. And you know what? It's worked for my family. And God is no respecter of persons. He's only a respecter of faith. But if you'll just believe the word and act on it, the word will work for you. Amen? And so Joshua, the first thing, it was the, the promise, then the problem, then the presence of God. But then they received the promise. They entered the promised land. They began to take what God had given them. Do you know what? You will possess the promise. And after that, they prospered. And this is one of my favorite verses in all the scripture because this is a principle that just works. But in Joshua chapter 1, Verse 8, it says, this book of the law or this word of God will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate therein both day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. But as you meditate the word of God, if, if you meditate the word of God and it changes the picture on the inside of you, it changes the way you think, you, you can't help say some things sometimes. You know, I sometimes embarrass myself by the things that I say, and I am very, very passionate. You know, I went to this conference at a spirit-filled church of some of the leading pastors in the nation, and there were 2,500 pastors in this place. It was packed out. They had overflow at another place, and they said the number one reason that people go to a church is because the pastor is passionate. And, you know, I called Max Cornell later that week. Pastor Max came here three, three years to this church and was my assistant. And then we helped him plant a church in Kansas City, and that church is doing great. 
In fact, I spoke to Max this week. It's doing great. I talked to Brian. We helped Brian and Ashley Carp. They came here several years and then went and planted a church in North Carolina, and their church is doing great. And you know what? I am proud of these young men. They're going to be here speaking at our camp meeting, among others. We're going to have the best camp meeting that we've ever had. But, you know, Max is doing a fantastic job. But after I went to that conference, I called Max and I said, I prayed to God and said, God, don't make me any more passionate. Because even though this was a charismatic conference, I'll guarantee you I was the most Pentecostal. I was probably the most passionate person in that whole place. And I have asked God that. Don't make me any more passionate. Somebody came the other day and it was uh, Rachel's sister and her husband. They drove from Flagler. They drove over 100 miles from the east of here to come here. And their daughter's going to be going here to college this fall. And they said, we just love coming here. We love it because you're so passionate. And, I'm like, <laughs> and uh, they said, we're probably going to be coming because our daughter is going to be going here to college and we're going to want to see her. So they might be coming more. But anyway... We love all the people that come from near and far and that live stream. But anyway, I asked God that I would be more passionate because that's not something I struggle with. (laughs) In fact, I I went to a conference with Billy Joe Doherty years and years ago, a pastor's conference, and a couple of things he said I really took to heart. Number one, and this is my job description. If you work here, this is your job description. Do whatever it takes. You know, I used to have a guy that worked for me, and he complained to my mother one time. He hasn't been here for years, but he complained to her about what I was asking him to do, and and my work ethic, really, is what he was complaining about. And my mom just told him, listen, Lawson won't ever ask you to do nothing that he won't do himself, and that is the God-honest truth. But we do whatever it takes. The other thing I learned from Billy Joe Doherty that he said, he said, if you want to have a good church, you need to let the you know, let the fire burn because he said people will come to watch the fire burn. <laughs> and a while, I'm like, Jesus, turn down the fire. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he was saying the same thing. And Billy Joe was a great pastor. And he was saying the same thing that this other pastor was saying. Praise God. And we thank God. You know what? We drove up here at 15 till 8 this morning. It was 8 below zero. And there were like 40 cars in the parking lot. And I was rejoicing. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because you know what? That's a lot more than I started with. We started here with almost nobody. And sometimes it looks bleak when it's like days like that. And I just rejoice and I just thank God. Hey, he's brought us a long way. Maybe we haven't arrived, but praise God we've left. Amen. But you know what? When you follow that pattern that you receive the promise, you face problems and you deal with problems, you rely on the presence of God, you you enter into what God's given you, you ultimately will prosper. But today I'm going to go to the life of David, and I want you to turn with me. I want to begin with this scripture where I'm probably going to end, but in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, it says, David perceived that the Lord established him king over Israel and that he exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. There is a purpose of our promotion And we need to realize there is a purpose that God has promoted us. There is a purpose that God has helped us. There is a purpose that God has blessed us. Amen? It's not just so we can receive these things for selfish means, so on and so forth. David perceived it. He got a revelation of it. He knew that God promoted him because of his people Israel's sake. We need to realize why God has called us to do 
what he's called us to do. So today we're going to be talking about David, but here's something I want you to realize. When we talked about Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, that was about 2,000 years before Christ that God spoke to Abraham. And God established the borders of the nation of Israel. When we talked about Joshua in uh, Joshua chapter 1, because God not only told Abraham that this is the borders of the land that he was given to Israel, right? His, his children, so on and so forth. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob became Israel, and it was the 12 families or the 12 tribes of Israel. God not only told him, in Genesis 15, God told Abraham that his children would go into bondage for 400 years, and that happened. Israel went into bondage after that in Egypt for 430 years. And then Moses led them out of Egypt, and he wanted to take them into the promised land, but because they rebelled and would not believe him, God had to let an entire generation of people die off in the wilderness. And so God let an entire generation of people just die off in the wilderness because they refused to, to believe him. And then Joshua was taking them in. So that was about 500 years later. And then 500 years after that, David is the one who ultimately took Israel into the promised land and possessed what God gave, what God promised to Abraham a thousand years earlier. Do you know what? The word of God is timeless. And you know, we have people that they, they don't have enough, if they don't see something microwaved, they are frustrated that this promise hasn't come to pass. They don't have enough foresight, fortitude to get anywhere. But if, if you're going to see the promises of God, you got to just stand and just believe and keep believing. This promise took a thousand years to come to pass. That's the timelessness of the word of God. You know, we just had Jesse Duplantis, and he just received something last year that he believed God for 13 years for, 13 years ago. And Jesse is one of the greatest people of faith that I know. In fact, the, one of the greatest statements he's ever made about faith is this. Most of the time in the realm of faith, I made a decision and God backed it. We've made these decisions to take great steps of faith forward because basically it got on the inside of me and it just wouldn't let go of me. And it just, and then the Lord said, now's the time. So I've taken, this is beyond Lawson and it's going to take God. But I'm going to tell you, I believe it's going to work. I believe it's God and I believe God's going to back what we decided to do. But I believe ultimately it's God's purpose for us as a church and for us for our, as a ministry, so on and so forth. So you know what? We're moving forward. And even before I told people what we'd done, provision began to come because God put it in my heart. Amen? And I believe within one year's time, this will be supernatural, but I believe we'll have all the provision to meet that. And from there, we'll just grow and we'll meet, reach more and more people. Praise God. But we're doing things and we're reaching out. I'm reaching out in the community like I've never reached out before. And we're seeing different people. We saw new people at Men's Fellowship yesterday. We're seeing new people in church today. We saw new people in church last week. We saw people come in and get saved, getting spirit-filled. There's a lot of good things that are happening. Amen? And so we rejoice in every good thing that we see, but we are believing God, and I'm reaching out. I'm doing more. You know, in fact, I asked the Lord because I'm a very conservative person, but I basically just felt like the Lord told me, Lawson, just do it all. Praise God. So, man, I am going for it. 
And I believe we're going to see the results. Amen? And, and you know what? To, even at that, I'm going to tell you this, and I may talk about this later. I am not going to compromise the message. I am not going to compromise the word. I'm not going to compromise, you know what, the truth. I am going to keep telling the truth. And if that costs me, that costs me. Praise God, because I'm going to tell the truth. Amen? But um, David basically possessed what God told Abraham a thousand years earlier, and Joshua began to enter into 500 years earlier. So I want to go back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see where God called uh, David, and it says in chapter 16 verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him? From reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, go tell him you're going to sacrifice and call Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. And you will, in verse 3, anoint unto me him who I name unto you. And it came to pass in verse 6, when they were come, the sons of Jesse, to this sacrifice, Samuel looked on Eliab and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Uh, and the Lord said unto Samuel, Do not look on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man see. For the Lord looks on the outward appearance, but the uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I am telling you, if there is a day that we need to have this working, it is today. We have people who will say one thing and do another. I was recently talking to a person, you know what, who should know better. And he said, oh, I was at this conference and this person, political person, was speaking here from our community and he's just like you speaking. Well, if, if he was just like me, tell him to get the gay flag off the wall in his businesses. And tell them to quit standing up for woke things. Because people will say one thing and do another. And until you start, you know, doing what you say, in this political realm, people are, it's terrible. And I'll tell you what I am not, is I am not a politician. I do not believe in saying one thing and doing another. In fact, I had a pastor tell me years ago, a former pastor, I know how it is when you pastor, you just lie, lie, lie. And that may be how he was as a pastor, just lying to people and telling them what they wanted to hear, but I don't believe in lying, lying, lying. I believe in just telling people the truth. And did you know what? The Bible says the truth will make you free. If you'll submit to the truth of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God will work, and it works for everybody. Amen? But I, you know what? I am not just going to babysit people. I'm not just going to just give them pablum. And I'm going to tell them the truth. Now, I'll try to be nice about it. And I asked God, actually, to help me teach. Before first service, I asked God to help me minister with grace, and I was uh, almost embarrassed myself. But listen, people need to know the truth. And we've got to, if we don't stand up, who is going to stand up? so on and so forth, and praise God, we've got it. But anyway, the, you know, basically Samuel said, you'll anoint the one that I tell you. So seven of David's sons passed by 
um, Samuel, and the Lord said, it's none of these. And Samuel asked him, he said, do you have any more? He said, yeah, we got little David. He's out taking care of the sheep. And so he said, well, go get him. And so he sent in verse 12 and brought David in, and he was ready. He was, he was a little kid and had a beautiful countenance. He was a pretty little boy, good to look at. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of God came on David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Do you know what? It takes the Spirit of God to accomplish what God's called us to do. And if we're going to do great things for God, a lot of times you've got to know there are some things that are subjective that it may be, you know, but there are other things that you have to know it's the call of God. And David knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was called by God. The very next thing that really happens uh, after this, David came to Saul's house and played and some demons left. But after that, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, Israel was in a battle with the Philistines. And so David's brothers went out to battle and David was again left home with the sheep. He was... Most people believe that David was about 15 years old when he was anointed uh, to be king, and he was about 15 years old. I studied uh, a number of biblical historians, and almost all of them believe that David was about 15 years old in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he goes up before Goliath. But anyway, David's brothers were called to go to war, and there was this Philistine giant, uh, Goliath of Gath, that would go down in the valley of Elah and, and basically uh, the Philistines were on one side of this brook and up on, a, on the side of a mountain or at the base of it. On the other side was the children of Israel and Goliath of Gath, he was nine foot in a span. So he was 15 cubits in a span. That's about nine foot, four inches. And he would, he would go and he would threaten them every day and Israel was greatly afraid and they were greatly dismayed and he did this for 40 days and would tromp up and down I've been over there and I've seen that valley I've seen that where that brook ran through there and you know it's like probably 800 yards across from mountain to mountain and here is you know the Philistines on one side and Israel is on the other side and he's out there just shouting these threats and taunting them every day and they're afraid and David's dad Jesse called him and he said hey I want I want you to go check on your brothers and I want you to take them some food and by the way he said I want you in verse 18 I believe it is he said I want you to take 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousands I like to bring this out because I remember when we were kids we buy this cheese and it would came in rolls about this long and they were about a foot around and they would chop it off and sell it by the pound and, you know, I'm thinking about cheese for a thousand guys. I mean, that's a lot of people. So take 10 of these. David probably took a donkey and a cart and these 10 cheeses. I think that Jesse thought big. Praise God, I think that helped David possess what God promised him is what, was that his father thought big. You know what? My kids graduated from college in the downturn financially of our nation and my son Andrew graduated from Colorado School of Mines with his master's degree. And he, he wanted to get a job in the state of Colorado. And he, he actually was offered a big job in Southern California, but he didn't want to go to California. And he, he just 
said, I just don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with a bunch of that stuff. But anyway, he applied for two jobs every week for like a year in the state of Colorado. And God supernaturally blessed him and gave him a job. But before he was offered any job, he got married actually before he got his master's after he graduated with his undergrad. And Bree asked him, what would you do if you can't get a job? He said, I'll go to work for my dad. Because my kids know that I think big and when you think, babe, you know what? You're resourceful. And when I came to Colorado Springs, it's like, man, there is so much opportunity. I don't understand why anybody could be here in Colorado Springs and not prosper. I mean, there is opportunity everywhere. And it's just the way you think. And my son Peter is like this, and uh, he found out about some different family members that aren't being productive and different things. And he said, I don't know why anybody in America is poor. And Peter has been in some third world countries. But, you know, I went and preached uh, for a man that we supported in a Bible school in Saltillo, Mexico. And I preached there every year uh, for 12 years. And I would go and preach a week. And if he, if, if the Lord didn't tell me specifically what to preach on, I would preach, I would ask him what he wanted me to teach on. And almost all of the time, he would ask me either to teach on finances or to teach on grace but usually finances. And I, I told him, I said, why are you having me teach on finances? He said, Lawson, what you have an anointing in that area, and this will work for anybody that will believe it. And, and you know what? I have been to Nepal. Nepal was one of the poorest countries in the world, and I was there in, 19, in the 1990s. I went with Dr. Delron Shirley, and there are people in Nepal where people migrate from Nepal to India for better conditions, and I have seen people just prosper in Nepal. Do you know what? Prosperity is not the American gospel. It's the Bible. And Dr. Lester Sumrall preached it, and he said, you know what? Prosperity is different things to different people. And he said, it'll work for anybody anywhere. When I went with Dr. Delron Shirley to Nepal, on the way back, we flew through Seoul, Korea, and we went to Dr. Paul Yonji Cho's church, which for years was noted to be the largest church in the world. What a lot of people don't realize is that 10 out of the 15 largest churches in the world at that time were in Seoul, Korea, and part of it is because of the culture of the Korean people, because the Korean people just do what they're told in America, they say, why? You know, America, they don't, and different people are different. Here in Colorado, there are things that work in other areas of the nation that don't really work in this area because people are different here. People are real free thinking, and I love free thinking people. Amen? So I'm good with it. Amen? But it's different. But when Paul Yanji Cho started out pastoring, he had this church, and it was in a tent. And you know what? While he was preaching, he said, I have an, I have a, an American bicycle and I have a, a chair with wheels that turns and rolls and I have a nice big desk in my office. And his elders got mad at him and they took him back to the office. And this office was basically just another room in the tent. And they said, you don't have an American bicycle and you don't have a chair with wheels that rolls and turns and you don't have a fancy desk. He said, I do too. They said, well, where is it? He said, I got it on the inside. You know what? You got to get it on the inside before you get it on the outside. And if you'll get something on the inside, there isn't anybody that can keep it from you. 
Amen? Praise God. So when the picture on the inside of you changes, the picture on the outside of you is getting ready to change. Amen? So you, you get a picture of what God promised you on the inside, and it'll change your picture on the outside. But you know what? When we went to Dr. Cho's church, this was years before, we went to one of seven sanctuaries. We went at a midweek. And on Sunday, he would fill seven sanctuaries up seven times. And there were seven doors. It was a round sanctuary, and there were seven double doors going out of this sanctuary with these aisles. And over every door, he had this scripture, 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Because what he was trying to do was get them to have a picture of prosperity and health on the inside because he knew that would change how they affected the world and that would change their life. And if you'll get a picture of what the Word of God says on the inside, it will change the picture on the outside. So I believe David's dad thought big and it helped David ultimately possess what God wanted him to possess. So when David went out there, Goliath was walking up and down that valley. He had been threatening them for 40 days. Over and over again, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And when David saw it in verse, uh, they were fleeing from him. The men of Israel said in verse 25, 1 Samuel 17, 25, Have you seen this man that has come up surely to defy Israel? He says, it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, give him his daughter, and make his father's house free. His, this is good enough reason to kill some giants. You won't have to pay taxes. Yeah. Glory to God. I mean, I, I would kill some giants not to have to pay taxes. <laughs> and you know, I learned, <coughs> I am very diligent to pay every dime that I owe, but at the same point in time, I'm also very diligent to find out every reason that I can legally get away from not paying taxes and use ever. And there are lots of opportunities, and I found out about one in December, and I had to totally change the way I was paid and different things, but I checked it out after I heard about it a very reputable person who knows what they're talking about in the realm of finances ministry told me about it. I checked it out. I found out, and it was so. And then I checked out with the people that did it, and then I checked out with my accountant, and my accountant said, absolutely, this is the best thing you can do. There's nothing else. So I totally changed. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says a diligent per person uh, or a person that's not diligent will be under tribute. There are laws that we have, and there are ways that you can prosper. And if you'll use certain things, you can prosper. Man, I don't know why anybody doesn't prosper. God wants us all to prosper. And I don't care where you're at in the world, but especially in America, if you'll believe the promises of God, if you'll believe the Bible. You know, I, we woke up yesterday, and our, or not yesterday, Friday, we woke up and our air conditioning was working fine at our house, but our heat was really struggling. <laughs> and you know, I, I had to call like four people before I got somebody to come, and by the fourth one, they said he'll come at one, and then he called and said, well, I'll be there, and he got there about 10.45, and he worked an hour and a half, and you know, he didn't hardly, he used some black tape. And you know what? He got my whole system working. It's worked the best that we've, it's ever worked since we've been in this foreclosure house that we bought in 2011, right at the bottom of the downturn. It's a miracle. But at the same point in time, you know what? I paid him $190, and I was happy to. Praise God. That was a great deal. 
Amen. What I'm saying is there's so much opportunity here in America. And if you'll believe and start thinking right and manage, a lot of, a lot of what happens with us is we manage very well what God has given us. You know, Aaron was talking about being, um, what was it, organized? Chrissy is sitting on the front row, and Chrissy has a gift of organization, and she is so, she is so organized, she drives me nuts. <laughs> and so when Aaron said this, I just laughed and laughed. and la But you know what? I need people like Chrissy. And one of my good friends said, Lawson, you're an apostle, and what you do is you just make a mess of everything, and then everybody else has got to clean it up. And so I'm good at making messes, praise God, and I got a lot of people to help me clean up the messes. But I just laugh. We need different people with different gifts and different annoyances. I don't even know where I was going anymore, but <laughs> praise God. It's good you can laugh at yourself. And then the next thing he was talking about, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and how Miriam was singing and they were all dancing and shouting and glorifying God. And the next day they said, oh, we don't like that singer. We think we need a different singer. <laughs> I really started laughing. And then by two days later, they were griping and complaining. And I'm telling you, I better not tell you. <laughs> but if you think you got the ministry of gripe and complain, you need set free. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you think you got the discerning of spirits, you need to turn that one on yourself and use that a little bit. and You won't be so uh, mean to everybody else. All right. Pastor Lawson, straighten up. Okay. Praise the Lord. Talking to myself. That's scriptural too. Okay, so David went out there and this giant is just threatening him and they're going back and forth. And when David sees it, you know, he got excited and he said, what's going to happen to the man that kills him for? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine in verse 26 that he should defy the armies of the living God? Everybody else saw this undefeatable giant and David saw this man who didn't have a covenant with God and David said, who is he? In verse 29, he said, is there not a cause? Isn't there something? We need to live for something that is greater than ourselves. We need to live for the call of God. We need to live for the purpose of God. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to kill some giants. And if you can't kill the Goliaths in your life, you'll never be able to kill some other things. And you'll never be able to fulfill what God wants you to do. This was just a test. And so they brought David before Saul and he repeated this. And Saul said, David, you're just a pretty little kid. This, this guy's a man of war from his youth. And David said, you know what? The, the, I took care of my father's flock when nobody was watching. And a lion came and I killed the lion and delivered the sheep. And a bear came and I killed the bear and delivered the sheep. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like him, those. And the God who delivered me from the lion and the bear is going to deliver me from this hand of this ungodly Philistine. Do you know what you do in private is eventually going to be made known in public. And, Dave, and basically Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. And David went out there and, and Goliath began to threaten him. And he was threatening him and saying, you know, what are you, a dog? Is that you're coming with me with a staff? And David said, you're nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine. And, and, this, and Saul said, I'm going to cut your head off and feed you to the birds. And David said, I'm going to cut your head off and your brother's head off and all the armies of the Philistines' heads off and feed you all to the birds. You need, you, need, you need to know how to talk back to the devil. 
And when the devil is trying to fill your head with garbage, you need to talk back and say, this is absolutely a lie, and your future is not bright. Amen. So David talked back to his enemy, and you know what? He did exactly what he said, and he took that sling and the stone. It was guided by the Holy Ghost and hit him right between the eyes. And then David didn't have a sword, so he went over there and got Goliath's sword and chopped his head off. And Israel prevailed against the Philistines. Amen. And they, went, they, they won a great victory that day. Praise God. But not only that, if you read on down here, it says this in verse 30. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. And then in verse 54, it said David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Hallelujah. In other words, he went to Jerusalem and he's carrying the head of Saul or this Philistine Goliath, and said, hey, we won the victory, but he took Goliath's armor and he put it in his tent. And David got a picture of victory on the inside of him that was so big. In fact, somebody said this, that Solomon didn't have to kill any giants because David killed them all. And David led Israel to possess what God promised Abraham over a thousand years earlier. Amen? So David moved in and possessed it. But the next thing that happens after this went down is, is the girls begin to sing, David has slain his, or Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul got jealous. And Dave, Saul tried to kill David over uh, 20 times. But David, it says, notice this in verse uh, 14 of 1 Samuel 18 behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. And you know, it was 15 more years, if they're correct, that he was 15 when he killed this giant. It was 15 more years before he became king of Judah, and then another seven years before he became king of all of Israel. So it took like 22 years for this word to come to pass. It took like a thousand years for this word that God gave Abraham to come to pass. Other words, it took 50 years in Abraham's life to come to pass. But you know what? When God gives a word, God's word goes into eternity and it will produce fruit. And if you'll believe it, it'll work. But it doesn't mean it's automatic and it doesn't mean that it doesn't take time. It takes time, for many times, for the promises to come to pass. And the next thing, David had to learn how to rest and rely on God. And you know, there were a couple of times, if you go over to 1 Samuel chapter 24, that David was in a, a cave in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and Saul was hunting him and came to rest in the front of the cave. And David had absolute opportunity to kill him, but didn't kill him cut off his skirt, and when Saul got up and left with his men, went to the other side of the valley, David got out there and waved his, you know, the skirt that he'd cut off and said, listen, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. You need to know that it's God that positions you, and you don't do that by your physical strength and ability. Again, it's God and His grace, and you're not trying to do it in your own power. And, my, and the same thing happened in 1 Samuel chapter 26, if I'm correct, that they were basically out and Saul and his men were resting and God caused a deep sleep and David went in with one of his mighty men into the camp and his mighty men said, let me just take his spear and ram it through him and stick him to the ground. And David said, no, we're not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to touch God's anointed. 
You know, years ago, I went to a good church. It was a great church. And there were family members of mine that got offended at the pastor. And they came to my house, and they were saying this stuff. And I just said, listen, I am not going to touch the Lord's anointing. I'm going to keep my hands off of him. I know that the man is anointed by God. He may not be perfect. None of us are. But I am going to keep my hands off the anointed of God. Amen? And people need to learn that. And we, we live in this world where everybody thinks that they can get on this non-social social media and just blast everybody and nobody knows, and that is ungodly. Amen? And you know what? If you're into that, you ought to get over it and quit it. We, I don't, listen, I don't get on social media and run down people and say negative things. And there are some people that have been very bad, and I have say almost nothing about them. There's people that have a complete lack of integrity, different things that I've dealt with, but it's not my job. And I am not trying to, you know, promote myself at their expense. Amen? If God can't promote me, I don't need to be promoted. If God can't promote this ministry, it doesn't need to be promoted. Amen? Praise God. And so there's a lot of people that have been terrible in aspects, and I, I, you will, I might say something privately to a couple of people because I feel like the Lord has told me, you know what, you need to warn these people, so on and so forth, but you don't hear me getting on social media and running them down and saying things publicly. You don't hear me. I had a person that came to this church for 14 years, and he said, I never heard you run down one other minister from the pulpit. I never heard you name a church or name a ministry. Now, there's principles that I talk about. But at the same point in time, did you know what? That's not my job. That's God's job. But people need to know the truth. And so, David, it took like 15 years before he became king over Judah. But he behaved himself wisely. And he didn't touch God's anointed. He let God promote him. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says, everyone who was in distress, and in verse 2, and who was in debt and discontented. David started small, but he ended up big. You know what? Where you go is a lot more important than where you came from. Amen? Amen? And it's not where you start out. I started out in Kit Carson. Rachel came from Kit Carson. Kit Carson's one of the smallest places in the state. It's a town of less than 300 now, I'm sure. There's about 2,200 people in the county, and the county covers 2,400 square miles. So there's less than one person per square mile out there. But did you know what? God told me to go there. And God promoted me, and God blessed me. Later, I had people from where I came from, Dr. Sumrall's, that told me that they, they wondered what I was doing when I went there. Now, Dr. Shirley was here in first service, and he said, Lawson, I celebrated the fact that you went to get Carson. And that was not us. That was never our heart. But you know what? If I couldn't have prospered in Kit Carson, I never would have prospered here. But I had other people. I graduated the salutatorian of my Bible school. I had other people that said, you shouldn't go to a town of less, or a church of less than two or 300, let alone a town. But that's what God told me to do. Listen, the way to prosper is do what God says do. Go where God says go. Be who God. You know what? Carrie Pickett was raised up there. Different people. Greg Trout, who was here in first service, was raised up there. Daisy Gifford that comes to this church was, or Josh, her husband was raised up there. All these different people were raised up. Praise God. Larry and Carla. Larry didn't, and Carla didn't come at first, but they came pretty early and Larry got healed. And then it was a while because they were in a church where the pastor was spirit-filled, but it wasn't a spirit-filled church. 
So it took them a while, but then they've come and helped us here and been with us for over 30 years. Amen. So Larry and Carla are a tremendous blessing. But you know what? It's David knew that it was because of the people that God called him to do. And, and he had to rest in the Lord. In fact, I want you to turn with me to this scripture, and I'm going to have to hurry up. But Hebrews chapter 4, I want to read in verse 5 through verse 10. It says this, or through 11, 5 through 11. In this place, if they will enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached did not enter in because of their unbelief. The people that were with Joshua and Caleb did not enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. Again, look at this in verse 7. He limits a certain day, saying in David. So again, Joshua and Caleb were about 1,500 years before Christ. David was 500 years later, about 1,000 years before Christ. Today, after so long a time, it said, Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, and you could interpret Jesus in verse 8 as Joshua. Some translations say Joshua. If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. So what he's saying is Joshua didn't bring them in, ultimately, to the place of rest. David ultimately did not bring them in to the promised land, to the he took everything God promised to Abraham, but he ultimately didn't bring them into rest. Ultimately, Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus is the one who will reign on the throne of David forever. And Jesus is the one who brings us into rest. And you know, there's this amazing scripture in John 19, verse 30. And it says this in John chapter 19, verse 30. It says, It is finished. Jesus finished the work. Jesus completed the work. And one of the hardest things that we'll ever do is just come to a place of rest where we just rest in Jesus and we just rely on the Spirit of God to get us where God wants us to go and to accomplish what God wants to do. And sometimes it takes time. In this instance, it was David probably killed Goliath. Most Bible scholars believe that when he was 15. It wasn't until he was 30 that he reigned over Judah. And then it wasn't until he was 37 that he reigned over all of Israel. And he reigned over Judah for 40 years, and he reigned over all of Israel for 33 years. And David took Israel to possess what God promised them. But you know what? He had to rest in what God told him to do, and he had to rely on God. And he couldn't get ahead of God. If you get ahead of God, you'll end up and try to do things in your own strength other than allowing God to do it. You'll end up uh, in a train wreck. Amen? See, so it takes time. And you've got to just rest until God promotes you and puts you. He trusted God to promote him. But if we go back over here, it says in verse 11 there, it says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Some of the hardest work you'll ever do is just rest and rely on the grace of God and let God put you in where he wants you to go and do what God wants you to do. Amen? Some of the hardest thing, I look around and I see opportunity everywhere. And some of the hardest things for me to do is sort out what God wants me to do and what God doesn't want me to do. Amen? Because I see opportunity. Amen? But I've got to sort that out and, and realize this is what God has purposed and this is what God hasn't. And there's some things that God has told me in the past I 
do not do this. When I know in my mind that it work, would work, when I know in my mind that it would make a lot of money in different things, but if God says don't do something, that means don't do it. Amen? And ultimately, there's, there's opportunities in the past financially and in business that I have passed because God's told me no, and I would not be here pastoring this church and doing what God told me to do here and being effective in the kingdom unless I would have obeyed God then. Amen? If David wouldn't have obeyed God with the bear and with the lion, he'd have never killed Goliath. And if he never killed Goliath, he would have never possessed what God told him to possess. But it was a process. Let's go back and let's turn to 2 Samuel now, chapter 2. And in 2 Samuel chapter 2, we see that David begins to rise. His beginning was small, but he, but he was moved into what God had for him. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, it says, It came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where? And he said, Unto Hebron. And when he got there, it says in verse 4, The men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying that the men of Jabez Gilead were they, they who buried Saul. Do you know what? They buried Saul. Saul was dead for years. But I want to show you something. In chapter 3, verse 1, look at this. It says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Even though Saul was dead, his house, there were people who were still loyal to him, and they fought David. But it says that David waxed stronger and stronger, but the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And I'm going to take a spiritual connotation on this. And you know what? There are churches that are dead. There are churches that have left what God told them to do and what God told them to preach, and people remain loyal to those churches for years. In fact, I had a man call me this year that was a he, he was an administrator in a church, and he's been a partner with our ministry for like 15 years. And he graduated from a Bible school that I respect in Florida years ago. He's been a partner for 15 years. But he asked me plainly, and he's, this is like four years he's been asking me this question. And he asked me plainly about this church. Now, he's no longer the administrator there, so on and so forth. But he said, Pastor, what do you think I should do? And you know what? I just told him. The pastor's wife is not spirit-filled. The pastor, even though it's supposed to be a spirit-filled church that will not preach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, will not preach on divine healing, will not preach on other promises of God. And even though this church has some good, did you know what? I just told this guy plainly. I said, there is somebody that needs you. And I said, there is somebody like me that is laying it down, no compromise, preaching the word of God, and you need to get up and leave that dead church and go help them. And you know, I have a friend, and I've helped this guy, and he wrote this article last year on, about um, the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church. I'll spew you out of my mouth in Revelation chapter 3. And you know what? I, I told another friend of mine, I said, listen, I'm not so uh, concerned about the, uh, the Laodicean church as I am the church at Sardis. 
And if you study these seven churches, Jesus is the Lord of the church in Revelation 2 and 3. These seven churches really are seven conditions of any church at any time. And there's different things that I could preach to you prophetically from that. But the church of Sardis had a name that they lived and yet they were dead. There are churches who have names that they live, but they are dead. And just like Jesus talked about the Pharisees, he said they are whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. But people, because of loyalty to somebody from the past or something from the past, they continue to go to these dead churches. You know, the Bible says this in Proverbs 21, verse 16, and I told this guy this other day, and listen, this is not just a one-time conversation. I want you to realize this guy's my partner. He's my friend. I love him and respect him but I respect him enough to tell him the truth. And so finally, after this four-year conversation, I said, it's time for you to get up and get out of that dead church and go somewhere where they don't compromise the word, where they don't compromise the Holy Spirit, where they tell the truth. And I had a friend of mine that recently died, and I think that he died prematurely because he chose to stay in a dead church rather than to be where God told him to be. And I know this from years back, that God told him to go to a certain church, and he didn't. And he stayed in a dead church where they compromised the Word of God. And I have great respect for this friend. This, he was a great friend to me. But at the same point in time, I believe that he died prematurely because he did not do what God told him to do. And it's very important for you. You know, I have a man that was here, him and his wife, in first service. And I had a, a man try to split this church a few years ago, and that man tried to get this man and his wife out of this church. He's, uh, uh, this man that's in the church is on my leadership team, and this man just plainly told him, God called me to go here, and if I wasn't here, I would be dead right now. I had cancer. I came to church. They laid hands on me, and God healed me. My wife would have been dead because we heard the word about the authority of the believer. My, his wife actually had a heart attack on a Sunday morning and fell over dead, and he laid hands on her and raised her up from the dead. And he said, I am not going to go where God didn't tell me to go. I'm not going to leave this church because God hasn't called me to leave this church. And we have people that they, they look on the outward appearance where it's all white, but inside it is full of dead men's bones. And he who wanders from the way of understanding will remain in the congregation of the dead. I fully believe from my heart that there is a revival coming in America and there is a revival beginning to happen that is going to change the fiber of this nation. There are people right now that are getting saved by the multitudes. There are people that are getting filled with the Holy Ghost by the multitudes. There are people that are coming out of the darkness by the multitudes. And I believe that there is a revival that is happening in this nation that is going to change it from the core. And I am waiting for people to get up and leave these churches that have a name that they're alive, but they're dead. And listen, they still do. I'm not saying they don't do any good. A lot of them do some good. But at the same point, if they have revelation and they don't have the guts to tell it, God sent them somewhere where somebody has the guts to tell the truth and help people and preach the truth. Amen? Hallelujah. 
And it's time for people to write, you know what, I made a choice when I was 14 years old. I grew up in a dead church. And, and they kicked us out for being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I made a choice when I was 14 years old. If I have to drive to 100 miles to go to a church that's full of the Holy Ghost and full of the truth of the Word of God, I'm going to do it. And you know what? I don't have one family that drives 100 miles to come to this church. I got about 20 families that drive 100 miles to come to this church. I got like... Ten families in the Lahaina, Colorado area. I've got people in the Lyman, Colorado area. We've got people that are coming from Castle Rock. Some of them are here right now. We've got people that come from all around, praise God, because they're hungry for the move of the Spirit, and they're hungry for the truth of the Word of God. And they're hungry for somebody to stand up and tell the truth and make no compromise. And I am way over time. I love you. <laughs> Amen. But ultimately, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 5, David became king over all Israel, and he did what God called him to do, and he knew it was God that put him there, and it, he knew that it was God who kept him there. So my conclusion is this. It takes God to get us where we need to go, and it takes God to keep us where he wants us. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.